Hi, I'm Levi Lowry. Welcome to Maison Mission. This is episode number 31. Maison Mission is an inclusive faith community. The word Maison comes from a Greek word that means greater. And the Maison Mission is about finding greater spaces for people to hear and experience the good news of Jesus. You can find out more about Maison Mission by visiting MaisonMission.com or through the links in the description of this program. So, I've been watching this show on Apple TV Plus called For All Mankind. It's one of these revisionist history shows where it goes back and retells history with different outcomes than what really happened. Um, For All Mankind starts out in the late 60s, and it tells the story of NASA uh, if the Soviet Union had beat the United States to the moon in the space race. It then follows NASA through the following decades of U.S. history and what that would look like uh, if that had happened. It's a, it's a really crazy show, and I won't give you uh, a lot of spoilers, but in season two, there's this one scene with a reimagined fictional version of Lee Atwater, who was, in real history, a Republican political strategist in the 80s. And it's in this scene in the show, he's talking with one of the NASA administrators. Now, you know, if you don't know by now, especially after this last political season, politics is more about exaggerations and manipulating data to create a story than it is about actually telling the truth. Um, so at this point in the story uh, on the show, uh, Lee's trying to convince this NASA administrator to craft a story, to drive a narrative that would make the way for one of his colleagues to not just attain a political office, but eventually run for president. And so Lee asks uh, this administrator if he's a wrestling fan, you know, so this is taking place in the 80s. So at this point in the show, you got to only assume that he's talking about WWF pro wrestling with guys like Hulk Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter. Then he says this, wrestling is the only honest sport. You know why? Because it's so obviously dishonest. The confused administrator asks what this has to do with anything, and then Lee Atwater, in the show, says this. And this quote is so intense. People crave drama more than truth. Give the public a villain and a hero to vanquish them, and they'll vote for the hero every time. That scene gave me chills because it spoke directly into what I sense we are facing today in 2021. Truth is hard to find. We're drowning in information, but still longing for truth. There's a spin or an agenda attached to pretty much every piece of information that we consume, and it's becoming increasingly difficult to find the truth anymore. I mean, what's worse is that the information we consume can also be weaponized and targeted because we're all convinced that our interpretation, our way, our desired outcome, our people group, our side is right. And I wish that I could say that the church has stayed above the fray on this, but unfortunately it seems that the institutional church has set the tone for most of these culture wars regarding truth. Being right has always been paramount, at least in the churches that I grew up in. 
I don't know about you, but how many of you were taught in church about absolute truth? This idea that there's one moral absolute truth in the universe, and, and many Christians believe that all truth is held together by God and his laws and his rule. It's a pretty deep rabbit hole to go down if you're into philosophy, and we're not going to get that deep into it, but I will say that I was taught similarly in my upbringing in the church. Truth was absolute, the Bible was completely true and literal, and there was no room for hearing any challenges or different perspectives outside of whatever our community decided those boundaries of truth were. But you see, that's when it all broke down for me. When I grew up and I left that community and I learned that there were some 45,000 Christian denominations in the world, all of them splitting off to form a new one when their doctrines differed, each of them believing that their truth was the right and only truth. Now, please hear this. I do believe that there is an absolute objective truth. I believe that Jesus himself declared that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And as a Christ follower, I, I believe that he, he was and he is and always will be true. Jesus set the standard for truth. I believe this. But here's the nuance that I missed in my youth. Just because followers of Jesus believe in an absolute objective truth, and we lean into our faith as a way to understand that truth, that doesn't mean that we, as a broken and always changing humanity, will ever perfectly interpret God's absolute truth. Humanity is on a journey with God throughout history, and God is continually inviting us into his mystery and beauty. As we grow and change and our understanding of the world and ourselves and others deepen, I believe God's truth becomes clearer to us. Or, to put it even simpler, I believe that as we grow closer to God, His, His light illuminates, exposes, and shows us the way to truth. You know, there's a similar scene in Scripture right before the crucifixion of Christ in the book of John, chapter 18. The Jewish leaders bring Jesus before the ruling authorities to be tried for his crimes. The Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, is reluctant to convict Jesus because in his own critical thinking, he sees that there really has been no crime committed by Jesus. He tries to pass the buck on to the Jewish leaders and tell them that they should try him by their own laws instead. But the Jewish leaders are out for blood. They desperately want to seize this moment of calamity and use the angry mob's energy to completely end Jesus by execution. Pilate takes Jesus inside and they have this exchange. It starts in verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate responded. Your own people and chief priest handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, 
The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at a time at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. And Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Hmm. Pilate is the ultimate politician, isn't he? His goal really is plausible deniability. He doesn't want to take responsibility for the execution of Jesus. He doesn't want that blood on his hands. But he also doesn't want to incite a riot. After a failed attempt to pass the hot potato of making the actual decision to kill Jesus off to the Jewish leaders, he talks to Jesus. He sees no fault in him, but still passes the ultimate choice on to the people. The person who actually had the authority to throw out all charges against Jesus and set him free, politically he weaseled his way out of being held responsible for it and instead put the blame on everyone else so that his rule, his influence, his power wouldn't be threatened. Sound familiar? Yeah. Many of us have worked in toxic work environments where this happens a lot. Some of us look at the broken bureaucracies of our government and how dysfunctional they are. They say playing politics is all part of the game, right? This broken leadership is evident all around us. No one wants to be left holding the bag. And I love what Pilate says to Jesus after Jesus tells him that he came to testify to the truth. Pilate sarcastically shouts, what is truth? Pilate is so far down the rabbit hole that he knows there will be no real truth revealed today. Just the spin, just the narrative that he lets the people drive, just the story that they want to tell themselves. He knows what's about to happen, and he knows that it isn't about truth at all. It's about keeping up appearances. It's about not upsetting the systems that are already in play. So I want to switch gears here, but just know I'm going to come back to all of this later. Um, So uh, I've been on this journey of discovering the Enneagram. Uh, And for those of you who don't know what the Enneagram is, it's kind of like a personality type uh, indicator, similar to like Myers-Briggs. But in it, it tells you kind of what your makeup is, what your personality leans towards. It's been really helpful to me. Um, uh, Definitely go check it out if you're interested. But uh, For those of you who don't understand it, I'm going to explain a little bit of it here. I'm an Enneagram 4. The Enneagram 4 is the individualist. Um, This basically means uh, that my perception of the world is one where I can feel like I'm the only one who really knows or understands what's happening or what's true. Honestly, it's like being a perpetual hipster of truth. The other thing about being an Enneagram 4 is that I feel things very, very deeply. Uh, Enneagram expert Ian Morgan Crom in an interview once spoke about his own experience as an Enneagram 4. He said that 4s don't just feel emotion, they become the emotion. That's me. 
the other day, a friend posted on social media this video of an early cast recording of The Greatest Showman's This Is Me, which, if you haven't heard this song, is just this declarative anthem for anyone who has been shamed or rejected to come out and be seen and known. But as I watched, I just welled up with tears as the raw emotion of the moment was captured in that recording. Like I said, I feel things really deeply. I can't watch dramatic movies with my kids because they're always poking at me going, Dad, are you crying? It's the worst. I can't tell you how much of a blessing and a curse it is to be so emotionally supercharged. But for me, pursuing real hard truths while experiencing all of these emotions has been one of the hardest things I've ever had to navigate in life. Our feelings are incredibly important. Our ability to laugh, to cry, to feel pain, and experience loss, to mourn, to celebrate, and to experience all of the varying degrees in between are so incredibly needed. But unfortunately, our culture hasn't done a very good job of affirming our deep feelers. I was told for most of my life growing up as a boy with deep feelings that my feelings were a sign of weakness. I can't even begin to tell you the amount of shame and rejection I felt because of my big heart. I, sh I struggled a lot growing up, but I want you all to hear this. Feelings are not defects in your programming. Our emotions are not something that we need to purge ourselves of in order to keep going as if we're some kind of Vulcan. Deep feelings are not a sign of weakness. Our feelings are real. They're valid and they're important. We need to allow ourselves to feel these feelings because keeping them in and never letting them out can create a pressure cooker type meltdown inside of us. Anger, violence, hatred, sarcasm. When the pressure cooker explodes, the worst parts lash out. The other thing about keeping our feelings inside is that it's ultimately rejecting who God actually made us to be. God created those emotions and he has a purpose for them, and even more significant, He's in our midst when we experience them. When we go through heartache and joy, when we're overcome with emotional highs and lows, He is right there with us, feeling all of those feelings with us, empathizing and comforting us. He's present. God is fully with us when we feel our feelings. The reason I say all of this is because the next part is hard for me to say as someone who feels so deeply. Even though my feelings are valid and real, that doesn't mean that they're always right or true. This has been a really hard lesson for me to learn, and it's one that I'm still learning. Sometimes our feelings can cloud our judgment. Sometimes, especially for those of us who have experienced trauma or abuse, our feelings can create a false narrative about what we're experiencing. There have been times when I have completely misinterpreted someone's help as an attack. There have been arguments that I've had where I've defended a position against people who are on the same team as me. It's an embarrassing experience every time. Now, I'm not a licensed counselor, so hopefully I'm explaining this well. But my understanding is that people who have experienced abuse, especially in their developmental years, their minds will go into this protective fight or flight mode 
and their reactive feelings are a way that their body responds to a threatening situation, or at least a situation that they perceive as threatening. Sometimes our feelings, while valid and real, may not always be true. So what do we do with that? If our feelings aren't true, how can we discern what is truth? This is why the part about Jesus being truth is so important. In John chapter 1, it says that Jesus is the light of the world and that the darkness can never overcome the light. In the Old Testament, we know that the Israelites carried the Ark of the Covenant around with them because they believed that the presence of God was with them. You know, Heather last week talked about the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that would lead them along their way. The Israelites knew that the very presence of God was with them, and that presence changed everything. It set them free from captivity. It provided for them when they needed it. It helped them to see truth clearly. We need God's light to come into our lives and to illuminate the dark parts of our world. We need God's presence to expose the parts of our own lives that might not be true. God reveals truth to us when we seek Him and His presence in our lives. It's not a manufactured truth. It's not spin. It's real, tangible, practical truth that God shows us when His light shines on us. So what does this mean for us? Friends, no matter where you are or what you're up against, know this truth. You are loved. God sees you. He knows you. And you are loved. Many of us don't believe this simple truth about ourselves. Maybe we've been shamed into thinking that we're only as good as the worst things that we've done. Maybe some of us are carrying the burdens of failures or bad decisions that, that hurt others or hurt ourselves, and that's the only way we can see ourselves. I want you to know that God loves you. You are loved. In God's presence, all the facades are stripped away. We are known by God, and God makes himself known to us. This can be terrifying because even our rough spots become exposed in the light of God's truth. That can be uncomfortable. But God doesn't meet us there with shame. He doesn't hurl our past in our face to keep us down. That's not the heart of God, no. God is there loving us, exposing the sins and the messiness so it can be removed and cleaned. I love this picture. Um, if any of you have ever done photography, it's like how film works, you know? Once the light exposes the film, it can never going, go back to being unexposed. Light exposes the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Let's pray. God, I pray that in these next few moments, as, as we sing this, this next song, God, I pray that your presence would come, that we would stand before you, that we would push away all of the distractions and all of the, the, the craziness of the world and, and, and the things, the lies, and all of the junk that comes into our lives and distracts us from you. Push those things away so that we may stand before you in your presence, that we may see you and only you. Lord, and that through 
your presence, Lord, your light would come and shine and expose our lives, Lord, that it would expose the world around us, that we would see your truth. Lord, we don't want to be the same that we were before. We don't want to come in here and hear this message and go along our lives the same way that we always have. But Lord, we want to be changed by you. We want to be changed by your presence. We want to be changed by your truth. Lord, reveal your truth to us. Reveal your heart to us so that we may be able to stand and see clearly you, ourselves, and those around us who desperately need to know that one simple truth, that we are loved. We pray this in your name. After listening to that sermon, I feel compelled to drop some truth on you right now. We've got some announcements and reminders for you before you go. Like Kevin mentioned earlier, house churches are starting the week of September 12th. This is a great way for you and your family to get plugged in to the Maison Mission. Sign up today on the digital connect card. Our next Maison IRL, that's in real life gathering, is going to be on Sunday, August 1st at 4 p.m. at Jonesville Park. We're going to hang out, enjoy some time together, and share in a time of communion. We really hope to see you there. We're partnering with the Temple Sure Shalom to provide meals for Family Promise this week, July 19th through the 23rd. We need meals for about 12 to 18 people. We can also provide public's gift cards to these families to help with their food and other necessities. More information can be found on our social media and in the description of this program. Maison Mission is a non-denominational church. These programs and conversations are only possible through the financial support and donations from people just like you. If our program encouraged you today, consider supporting the Maison Mission with a one-time gift or on a recurring basis. You can give through MaisonMission.com and follow the link to give, or you can text the dollar amount to 84321 and follow the links to Maison Mission. We will also be displaying the giving links on a slide at the conclusion of this program. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a great week.